Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am the R in OSR, and tonight is uh, part two, the second wave of the invasion from beyond planet X. So Levi Combs will be back tonight, and we are talking all about the history of Arduin. Something that uh, gamers of my generation probably aren't familiar with, but uh, definitely an interesting chapter in role-playing history and one that touches a lot of other historical figures and companies within the role-playing sphere. But before we do that, just want to remind everyone to like, share, and subscribe if you are enjoying what you're seeing from this and any other programming here at Rollin' Bones. And you can find me on all the various social media down here at Twitter and Instagram. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg, YouTube, Roland Bones, and Twitch is twitch.tv slash Roland Bones Ryan. Uh, Twitter is where I'm most active right now. I'm doing daily threads six days a week on various topics within the role playing world. So if you want to hear my thoughts on everything from the Dark Sun setting to uh, actually mapping during your adventures to, you know, various monsters, classes, all that kind of stuff. You can find that over on my Twitter page. And, of course, I want to remind everyone of the Tee Public Store, the Bonehead Emporium, where you can get such great designs as the Bonehead T-shirt, the RPG Gorillas Unit Patch T-shirt, and, of course, the main logo T-shirt, uh, Levi just recently picked up a uh, a hoodie, which he is showing off right now. I will bring him on and you guys will be able to see it. Um, but yeah, this, you know, you can get Rolling Bone swag over on Tee Public. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's bring on tonight's guest. He is the, uh, the elder brain that runs Planet X Games. He is one of the greatest role-playing minds in the world right now. He's a great OSR creator. Ladies and gentlemen, Levi Combs. Hey, there we go. Hey, this is a really nice uh, hoodie, by the way. Look at that zipper. Heavy, charcoal gray. Nice. 2X. Right <laughs> my I don't know what you're, uh, what you're smoking about greatest role-playing minds, but uh, that is a very nice thing to say. Uh, not true, but very nice. So I appreciate I, that. I think it's true. <laughs> Good Lord, no. <laughs> I've told multiple people at this point, but when when you and I connected, I did not know anything about the OSR. I like nothing. I was purely in the 5e world. And I just I heard you on uh 
vintage RPG. That was the first time that was my first exposure to you. But you were the one who kind of brought me into the OSR world. And so when I tell people that, I also say it's kind of like learning to drink with absinthe. But (laughs) (laughs) all right, fair comparison. (laughs) You you really are like you were the first person to kind of bring me into this OSR world when you like got me hooked up with the the frogs and and everyone that has been on because you were on first. So uh, I owe you a debt of gratitude. And also, I think you are uh, one of the greatest minds in, in the OSR right now. So. No man, listen. You give a you give all of us a, a platform to talk about our stuff and to you know try to get word out about things that we're doing and just have good conversations. So that goes both ways. So mm-hmm. um, no, yeah, no worries on that. And, Unless uh, you're this dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Scott from Orcus Dorcas, uh, we we definitely need to get you a five timers club jacket. I have seen that skit, <laughs> Scott. I I I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's me me and steve martin and alec baldwin yep <laughs> i think paul simon was in there too yeah <laughs> tom hanks yeah justin tom timberlake hanks. that's right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> some other people that will end up on that list sooner rather than later i think uh ian and rocky will end up on there lou al lou gonna end up oh on man there. i love those guys yeah, I just uh, just did a um, a uh, an adventure with Lou Alu. Like we just uh, you know just just wrote it. He wrote the majority of it, actually. Um, it was you know I had a very loose outline, but then you know, like anything, that guy is just a, he's a killer. He's just a, mm-hmm. like, hey, here's a paragraph outline, and he comes back with like seventeen thousand words. <laughs> like he's just yep. a machine, um, and and a good one. So. Um, yeah, and then Ian and Rocky, just fantastic people. You know, I mean, Absolutely. you know, I love those dudes. So, so the topic of tonight's show is Arduin. Yeah. And you've been geeked to talk about this one for a long time. I, you're probably the biggest Arduin fan I know. Um, Man, I love Arduin. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not. I wouldn't go as far as call myself a super fan, but like, I'm, I, I really, really like it. And again, just to kind of remind everyone of my roots here, I was I wasn't playing role playing games until 2014, 2015. So this is well before my time, both uh, chronologically and uh, in terms of role playing. But Arduin pops up not too terribly long right after D&D is released. It's it spins out of David Hargrave's house rules for Dungeons and Dragons. And it kind of emerges as an early, almost competitor to, to D and D. So let's, let's kind of begin at, at the inception of Arduin. So where does the story of Arduin begin for you as a fan? And then let's get into the history. Well, first, I'm no Arduin scholar. Like I'm that, that's, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you what, you know, Dave Hargrave was, having for dinner in, you know, February of 1979. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't get that deep into it, but I, I am a, I am a fan, like a big, big fan. Um, and I have followed it literally since, uh, you know, finding it, you know, all those years ago 
in a stack of books. Um, but you know, if you really wanted to talk, like get down like the deep minutia of the of the history of that, you'd have to talk to somebody like Andy Markham, who is who really is a super fan. He knows all about it. Uh, he runs the the uh, Ardman uh, Facebook group. Gotcha. And then um, uh, John Peterson, of course, or uh, you know, Dave and George from Ember's Choice, they would be good. Um, you know, Mike Gunderloy, Joseph Block could probably do it. But again, I'm not uh, I'm not that guy, you know, <laughs> but I can with enthusiasm and, uh, you know, uh, a love of its creative abandon. I can I can uh, we, we, we can have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so where do I sorry, go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, like, where did you first encounter Arduin and what what gave you the Arduin bug, so to speak? So, I, you know, I, I, I we've talked about it before on this show, but I had a really kind of weird entry into the hobby, you know, as far as like um, how I got started. You know, I, got, I had a I got a red box uh, that had no dice in it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like a couple months later, I ended up getting a monster manual at a yard sales. So I was trying to like put those two together and, and figure out like, you know, what, I didn't know the difference between basic D and D and advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I lived in a very small town. There wasn't anybody playing Dungeons and Dragons, so it was just kind of a, by pure chance that I found it all. Um, but a family had moved into our, our small little town in Arkansas, and um, the dad in the family he uh, had been in the Air Force, so he had traveled around and he had played D and D in the Air Force quite a bit, and he had three. Uh, sons that were around my age you know a couple, one of them was older one of them was a little younger one was right my age hmm. um so we would he started up a campaign for us you know because we were all kind of theater kids running wild in the summer and whatnot so in an effort to kind of like <laughs> like settle us down <laughs> i think maybe he started running running D D games um and it was you know it was just basic ad and d um but he had you know all the books you know the, the all the core books and the deities and demigods and the fiend folio we would look at the pictures and we would oh you know try to figure stuff out but he had all this extra stuff too that didn't make really make any sense you know it wasn't it wasn't dungeons and dragons stuff but it was kind of like it and it was like the old dragon tree press stuff like the book of plots and the you know the book of spells all this all this stuff and we would go through those and and, and read them and just kind of you know would fire our imaginations but the thing that caught my attention the most were these three little brown books that he had. And those were the Arduin trilogy, the first three books. It was uh, Arduin Grimoire, uh, Welcome to Skull Tower, and Runes of Doom. Those were the, the, the first three Arduin books. And when you go back and look at those, like, they don't make much sense. Like, they're <laughs> kind of a mishmash of rules. Like, one mm -hmm. page is, you know, they're talking all about, like, I don't know, technos and slavers and witch hunters. And you're like, what is this? You know? <laughs> and then there's like, you know, a section on prismatic walls. And, then, <laughs> you know, you're, huh? You know, and then there's a whole like brutal uh, critical hit system. And then there's a fumble chart. And then they go like right into like, here's 21 levels of hell. You know, like it's, just, it's all over the place and has mm -hmm. no kind of rhyme or reason to it. But that's part of its charm because these books are just packed and i mean packed full of ideas and cool little hooks and things that will just fire your imagination so i was i was reading you know nobody else was reading those in, in our little group but i was just devouring those and making little notes and um they really captivated me in a way that 
was equal to, or maybe even more so than the, the the course, you know, the core books. You know, I got just as much of a charge out of reading those little books and looking at the weird little illustrations by Errol Otis and uh, and Morno and all these different uh, 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 artists that I did. You know, reading the core the core stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing kind of the the limited exposure that I've had to Arduin. Uh, you, you mentioned Moro. Seeing Moro's art, um, it's Morno. very... I, I forget his actual name, but his pen, pen name on his art was Morno hmm. with an N. Yep, See, seeing Morno's art... <laughs> Sorry. And, I didn't want again, the argument to answer roast you. <laughs> I finished this right before the show, so, you know... Cheers. We can, we can blame, it on the, uh, blame it on the bourbon. Morno... You know, seeing some of the art that that you've posted on Instagram, and you know, in, in anticipation of tonight's episode, looking at it versus some of the other art that you see around that time, uh, you know, specifically, I'm thinking of like the the first Greyhawk supplement and that really unfortunate looking beholder on the cover. <laughs> um, Morno's work really seems to be like almost a decade ahead of everyone else at yeah. this point just kind of based on the amount of detail that he's able to, to render in his drawings. Yeah. He, I, I, now forgive me. I, I've wrote it down here somewhere, but I forgot his, his real name. His, his pen name was just Morno. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he went on to actually produce some really, some really cool stuff. I think he did a last thing that I saw was he did this really cool fantasy calendar that was, uh, I mean, stunning, you know, we're talking like his art looked that good in the seventies. You see it like in the early to mid two thousands. And it's just like, your eyes are popping out of your head. It's so good. Like if, if he wanted to ever like go commercial and be, you know, be that guy, I mean, he would, he'd be huge. Hmm. Uh, but you also had Errol Otis, you know, like a yeah. young Errol Otis is, is, you know, doing work for, for arguing. <laughs> like, like it's just such a crazy crossover between the two because at that time you know, he had done his own stuff too. And he did, of course, did work for uh, Dungeons and Dragons and to have him in, in kind of both, both scenes at the same time is, is nuts. And even going back, back then and looking at his art back in those, in those, you know, the old, uh, I think it was in, uh, he, he did art for a couple of the, uh, the modules, at least one, um, Howling Tower, or Caliban, or one of those, and then of course the 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 Arduin Grimoire. Like, it's all great. It's all really, really good, good work. Like, even for a, a, a young, like you know, just getting a start, Errol Otis. He's still Errol Otis. You know, it's yeah. you can still tell he's gonna be he's gonna be a somebody. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it's hard to mistake just that that very specific, very singular Errol Otis kind of yeah melty I mean, style that that he's known for the greats are great for a reason and you could tell mm -hmm. even then that he was going to be you know a master so gotcha he's like Tramp trampier in that way you know like a lot of those early guys like their work is just so far it defined the way that we see D D. you know like i can't look at um a lich a picture of a lich without thinking of trampier's lich you know, I can't look at a frog hemoth without thinking of Errol Otis's frog hemoth. Like the stuff they did in those in those early days, it defines how we see D and D now because everything is extrapolated from that. I mean, they're they are the co-authors of our imagination. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, something interesting about Arduin, uh, just kind of in its early days, uh, Hargrave is from the Bay Area, so he, yeah. he's interacting with kind of the, the San Francisco uh, sect of, you know, who, who would eventually kind of become that school of designers, including one Greg Stafford, Chaosium, who was originally yeah. going to publish Arduin through Chaosium. Yes. <laughs> that was a bit of a falling out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the way it's been explained to me, um, I, obviously I wasn't in the scene back then. The way it's been explained to me is that there was the Midwest kind of movement for D&D, kind of the heartland, you know, the, 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 the people who, you know, this is where role playing started. It's the birthplace, you know, yeah. Gary and, and all those, all those folks, it was the source code. And then you had the guys out in California, basically the, the West Coast guys, and they um, they were they had it too, but they were doing something different. They were had kind of a wilder sort of you know genre bashing sort of um, approach to it all. And Hargrave was kind of the at the forefront of that, you know, like he was the yeah. first guy who says, you know what, why can't we have cowboys and ninjas and you know. I don't know, saints and technos and, you know, what, what, what can't we have laser guns? This is long before barrier peaks comes along. You, know, you get Arduin and it has all this stuff mm -hmm. in it. So it's really the first of the genre, kind of the genre bashing um, cross genre uh, games. Yep. Um, but going back to Stafford, now Stafford was a, if, if I'm recalling correctly, was a, like was a member of Dave Hargrave's like home group, like was yeah. just, or, or at least played with him maybe at one of the shops or maybe one of the Dundracons or something, but they knew each other and Stafford played with, uh, with Hargrave and loved his stuff. Like thought like, Oh, you know, cause the, the word always was, was that like Hargrave was like a fantastic DM, hmm. but was just kind of like a little abrasive, you yeah. know, he, he could yep. be hard to, to get along with, or he might take a slight, a little, you know, that was the word. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that's that's necessarily the truth, but that was you know what I always heard. Uh, and of course, this is years later that I'm hearing it, so you know who knows. You know, um, but yeah, chaos. So Stafford wanted to publish Arduin uh, the uh, through Chaosium, uh, but then <laughs> then uh, Hargrave turns in kind of like a unfinished sort of mishmashy. <laughs> kind of what the book, the first Arduin Grimoire is, is just kind of a, just a collection of, not even articles, just like a little mm -hmm. bit of this, a little bit of that, throw it together. And Stafford's like, I can't publish this, man. Like, you know, <laughs> this, this, this isn't really a game. This, you know, mm -hmm. um, this is unpublishable basically. So yeah. Hargrave, so he says, I can't do it. Um, so Hargrave takes that to heart and like, you know, severs the relationship with Stafford, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, like, and he took a jab at Stafford later on because uh, I don't remember if it's in um, the I mean, Skull Tower or Runes of Doom, but there's a spell called it's uh it's like Stafford's Stafford Starbridge maybe, mm -hmm. um, where it's so it's, it's, this is this is really kind of petty. So it's about <laughs> like how you can make us you make this like cool bridge of stars that can span anything. But then, like, uh, you can cause, you can make the, make the bridge to like where people will fall. Through. You know, if you don't want somebody to cross it, they'll fall through. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh man, come on, man, that's super, super duper petty. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he put the put Stafford's name on it. Stafford's. I, I think it's Starbridge, but Stafford's Starbridge. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, that's that's like funky Flashman petty. <laughs> yes. Oh man, <laughs> that's a deep cut right there. For for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, one of the characters in Jack Kirby's Fourth World is the Funky Flashman, and uh, for anyone unfamiliar with the history of Fourth World, uh, Kirby created it while at Marvel, wanted it to be kind of like his own little universe there. Marvel said no, so he left. He took it to DC, and DC accepted. You know the the biggest name for Marvel comics as far as artists are concerned with open arms. And he creates the fourth world and, you know, Orion and dark side and Calabac and all those cool characters. But along with them is this character named the funky flash man, who is very much directly one-to-one Stan Lee from the seventies. Very much so. (laughs) And he also, uh, at the end of every day, takes off his sunglasses, his fake hair, and his fake beard and puts them on a mannequin head. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're yeah. dealing with that level of pettiness. Yeah, it's super, super duper petty. <laughs> but, you know, you look back, you know, looking back, and now Jack did have a point. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's, that, 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 we, we can fill a whole podcast with that discussion. But mm-hmm. moving along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it it really is interesting how uh, like you know again, Chaosium is is about to kind of like take off at this point, and so these two kind of intersect with each other right as Chaosium is about to become a thing as well, and also enter the fray as an early competitor to Dungeons and Dragons. But it's interesting to me how many of these kind of pioneers of role playing were not very good at actually publishing legible books in a lot of <laughs> <Yeah>. ways. <laughs> like people talk about Gygax being difficult to read. There's a method to the Gygax madness. And he was one of the better ones about actually being able to organize his thoughts into a, a book that's readable and coherent. Oh, listen, man, you can take the, yeah. the, the worst Gygax prose ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Take the worst, the worst, which I still don't think is that bad. Right. You take the worst because it's Gygaxian. It has yeah. its own genre. But you, you imagine his worst prose. It is still light years beyond the mishmash, <laughs> absolute insanity of uh, the first uh, little Arduin book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again make, making a point off that. Like I don't think. That's even Arduin's. Arduin's strength is not like in rules or like having a coherent game. In fact, mm-hmm. it's just this is just my opinion. I I that I don't even think that is even the drawing point to Arduin. Like, I don't think right. that I don't think that's what's cool about it at all. The rules to me are entirely secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the lore and it's the yep. again that creative abandon and like pure style and yep. like. Hargrave's enthusiasm for just his love of gaming comes through in what he writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those first three books, man, they you, you put those together and it is, it's a jumping point for a thousand adventures just, yep. just jammed into those books. Like there's so much cool stuff in those books, whether it's new monsters, locations, NPCs, new spells, magic items, his his own world. He does a whole timeline 
for a world we don't even know about. But he right. seeds it with all these cool little events and cool little things that just makes your brain just start firing off in these random directions so that you're you're coming up with all these cool ideas of your own. That's the genius of Arduin, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's not the rules or like the layout or even, even the art. Like it's it's that enthusiasm, that creative abandon. Hmm. But like a lot of people wonder why once D&D was kind of out, you, you don't really hear from Dave Arneson anymore. Dave Arneson had a similar problem where he just straight up could not write coherently. Well, you know, it happens to everybody. I mean, yeah. we've all had a writer's <laughs> block or, you know, been mm-hmm. stuck. Everybody, everybody has their own ways around it, but, you know, yeah. can't blame the man. Now, the, the lore of Arduin you mentioned, is it's very interesting. I mean, we're, we're dealing with... Um, like you said, the, this kind of genre bending world, but you're also dealing with a world that's situated in what's essentially a cold war, like a yeah. cold war scenario when you, when you start off and, you know, obviously it's the seventies. So the cold war itself is, it, it's, you know, everyone knows about it at that point. It's not a secret that's the stupidest thing anyone's ever said about the cold war, (laughs) but you know, it's always interesting to place gamers in a scenario where you are sitting directly between two factions that have fought each other before and will likely fight each other again. And that's kind of where Arduin starts you out, I guess. Are you talking about like the humanity and kind of the lands of, of, of men Versus the uh, Titans and star-powered mages? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a thing. Like, So uh, for people who are listening that aren't familiar with um, with Arduin, um, he's right. It is kind of a cold war. And you're, you're kind of coming in after... At, the, the way that it starts out, at least in the, the first three books, is um, there was this you know, these horrible, horrible wars and um, these beings called star-powered mages, which are basically like super magic users, super wizards. And they had this uh, little gem in their foreheads that, like, you know, channels energy from the stars. And they've teamed up with with titans, like, you know, like titans, how you would you would think of them in, in, in D&D, even, even almost more godlike mm-hmm. than uh, the, than that. And they've, they've teamed up with them to kind of, you know, uh, overthrow or, you know, just rule the world. And humanity, elves, dwarves, every, everyone rises up against them. And there's, again, there's kind of a standoff to where the star-powered mages and the titans depart for the stars. And you, you, you never know if they're going to come back or if there's outposts left behind or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. At least that's how I always took it from from reading the the history and the timeline. Other people may have different uh, um, ideas of how all that went down. Like, uh, certainly Dave and George from Emperor's Choice might have a, a different idea of that. And guys who have played Arduin or have been immersed in the world for a long time. But that's how I always took it. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I never even really thought about that, that, that time and there being a cold war connection, but, uh, that's, that's again, very apt. Like last mm-hmm. week when we were talking about the, the grindhouse influences, yeah. um, on, on pop culture, like you're, 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 you're in it. You're thinking, you're thinking about this stuff way deep. <laughs> well, and, and Hargrave, I, you have to take into account Hargrave is in the Bay area in 76. So the the withdrawal from vietnam is right there like right on the uh, it's on the precipice of happening uh right as kind of arduin is is forming 
So you, I mean, he's you a have himself, this. So yeah, you, you you have this kind of theme happening in history of an empire withdrawing from somewhere, and you know, obviously, you have the the bigger Cold War as well. But I mean, he's all wrapped up in in the counterculture and kind of the the capital of the counterculture at that point. So yeah, he's right down there, like in yeah. the Berkeley area. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And it uh, looks like Shadow and Son is here, and he is predicting, so he was on the phone with George this weekend, that uh, Arduin is going to make a huge comeback. So, I'm here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, when it comes to, again, things in Arduin, ideas presented in Arduin, what would you say are kind of the, uh, like, big ideas or things presented in Arduin that had kind of like a a massive impact on the way role-playing games have evolved since then? Well, I don't know about massive impact on the way things are are now. I mean, certainly there is like a legacy. There Mm -hmm. are certainly things that stood out. And there are certainly things that like, oh, I don't know, like, again, there's, there's, there's a legacy of that. Um, the genre bashing, especially like since it was the first game that really just took, just said, Hey, it's a stew pot, throw it in here. If it works, <laughs> that has certainly trickled down to today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that is necessarily the argument is necessarily the Genesis for that. I think that would have happened regardless, mm-hmm. uh, over, over time, but they were certainly the first to do it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, their strength, again, like I was talking about before, is the strength is in the lore, is in the enthusiasm, is in the world building. Uh, You see a lot of that today because we have uh, role-playing games that are system neutral, you know, Mm -hmm. that are just sometimes settings get put out and there's not even any rules attached to them. So you definitely, that would definitely be a legacy. Um, For sure, like Planescape, I don't know would even exist without, Mm -hmm. um, without argument. You think Planescape is this, is this uh, setting, you know, you're in Sigil, the city of doors, and there's there are gates everywhere. Well, Arduin was a whole world that was just riddled with gates and portals to all kinds of different places. I mean, there was a multiversal trading company that was, you know, situated around, <laughs> you know, um, you know, bringing in goods from all over the cosmos or the universe. Um, Dark Sun, for instance, has the Thrycreen. Yep. You know, uh, and we've seen Thrycreen before Dark Sun, but mm-hmm. um, the Thrycreen is essentially just the freight from uh, from Arduin, you know, and that, that was a playable race back in 77, mm-hmm. you know, or I guess 78. Um, you know, so, I mean, would you have the Thrycreen in Dark Sun without the freight first in Arduin? Probably not, you know. Um that's debatable, but I, I'd like to think not. So yeah, there's a lot of trickle down from from Arduin. Um, you know, I, I, again, um, that genre bashing being the main one. Mm-hmm. Yep, Shadow and Sun uh, calls out the uh, the plateau forever, uh, where all the dimensions meet. I get kind of being pretty similar to Sigil in that regard. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, and, and definitely, I, I'm sure. Like I'm sure if next week if I tackled Zeb Cook and didn't get kicked out of uh, <laughs> North Texas for doing that, it was like it, 
is sigil the the plateau of forever he'd probably be like yes yes it is now get off of me <laughs> strangely enough at game hole this last year i did ask him this question because being a, such a huge ardwin fan um i had just a moment you know a, a couple minutes there to talk to him i said zeb i gotta ask you i gotta know um and so I, I did. I posed that question to him, um, and he had kind of a whole different genesis for, for, uh, for uh, Planescape that didn't involve Arduin. Um, mm. That was surprising, but also made made a whole lot of sense. Um, but uh, it's hard for me to imagine, like, without that existing and at least being in the like the, I don't know the the thought sphere of things yeah. that. Um, some of that didn't cross over at some point. Like it's just mm-hmm. too similar, you yeah. know, and it did come first in, in a long time. It, it, it was, it was in the mix for a very long time, yeah. decades before we had Planescape. So mm-hmm. it was like, you at least got to think that there's some cross pollination or a little, little bit of, a little bit of that leaked in a little bit of this. And you, you know, you, you get, you get Planescape. Yep. So, I mean, we, we, we've talked a lot about the, the early, part of Arduin, but I guess like moving, moving out of the seventies into, you know, into the early eighties, what happens with Arduin as far as keeping up with D and D? Cause you know, at at a certain point, D and D becomes a runaway train and you know, they're the market leader, but Arduin is still around to, to some extent at that point. What happens to Arduin once the gaming boom really kind of comes into effect in, in 1980, 1981? Yes, especially in the early 80s. Um, it gets sold to Grimoire Games, uh, which is uh, Jim Mathis, I think. Mm. He um, he puts out, you know, he puts out uh, Lost Grimoire, he puts out Dark Dreams, House of the Rising Sun, he several books there that all build on Hargrave's original uh three books but the big thing that happens is the lawsuit we you know and that actually kind of happens before the 80s that you know that's you know that's if, I, if i'm remembering correctly again I'm, I'm not a scholar but um you can't talk about the history of arduin without talking about the lawsuit from from tsr like the, the threat of the lawsuit from tsr because it's mm. it is like so it is it is so funny <laughs> like the way that it all kind of went down because Nobody can really look at Arduin objectively and say that, like, at least in the early days, that it is not, you know, a a work of plagiarism of of, of some level, you know? Like, you can't look at it and say that. Uh, Yes, there are all kinds of new elements, but, I mean, like the prismatic prismatic wall or prismatic spheres, one of those those prismatic spells is literally lifted right out of the the player's handbook. (laughs) The... uh, if I want to, if I'm remembering correctly, um, in the early days of D and D, there was a misprint that said instead of in the monster entry, it would say uh, percentage layer. It was supposed to say percentage layer. You know, the percentage of the monster that you were encountering was actually in its layer. Mm-hmm. But there was a misprint that said percentage liar, <laughs> as in, and people reading it, yeah, mm-hmm. if they didn't read between the lines, took that. Well, this is the percentage that the you know, the monster is going to tell me a lie or is going to mislead, <laughs> you know, uh, which which Hargrave did did do. So he, in his original uh, Arduin books, he, he in the monster, um, the monster entries, he mm. includes uh, percentage liar. 
<laughs> in there. So you can look at it. He he reprinted a misprint, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things like that um, that kind of, you know, you can tell that they're really crossing the streams and he's really borrowing hard. Plus, Arduin is not, at this point, it's not even really a game. Not really. Um, without have to, having a Dungeons and Dragons. You have right. to have, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, you got like Gary Gygax is taking pot shots at um, at Dave in the, in the you know, a dragon, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and rightfully so. Like he had a, <laughs> honestly, he had a, a IP to protect, you know, this was his, yep. his work, you know. Um, so he was taking uh, pot shots at, at, at Hargrave. He even um, in the first edition, and it probably goes back farther, but I remember seeing it for the first time in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. There's a magic item called the Vacuous Grimoire, <laughs> which is a stab at the Arduin Grimoire. Mm. And if you pick it up and read it, like you lose, like, uh, like I think it's like minus one intelligence, minus two wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a cursed book that if you, this Grimoire you pick up. So that's a bit of a stab, um, you know, at, at, uh, at Hargrave. And, you know, Gary went up, you know, went at him about spell points and uh, critical hits, because you know Hargrave had a. Br- yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's super deadly, uh, but he had a great critical hit and fumble system. I mean, it gets a little ridiculous in places, but like it really ups the ante for for rolling a one or a twenty. You know, yeah. uh, my old DM in my my original AD and D group used. We played AD and D rules, but we used. Hargrave's uh, crit, crit, critical hit system, mm-hmm. and um, you just never knew what was going to happen. You know, um, it's kind of like the mighty deeds and the unpredictability of DCC now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Arduin had that with the critical hit and fumble system. Yep, but so much more deadly because you might be first level and you roll a twenty, right? And you're yep. facing off against like I don't know a third level monster. And you roll 99 on the die, like you just beheaded. Like it doesn't matter how many hit points you have, it just, but they could do that to you too. So it could be a hobgoblin facing off against a 12th level fighter. Well, he rolls a 20, oh, and he rolls, you know, double odd on the dice, and all of a sudden he stabs you through the heart and you're dead. It doesn't matter how many hit points you have. So a yeah. high level of lethality, high level of, of chance, you know, one in 20 rolls, something crazy is going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of that. Uh, Shadow and Sun does point out here, uh, apparently by volume three, um, Hargrave had kind of separated out the rules of the the rules of what Arduin is versus, you know, D&D. But I I think uh, Shadow, what what Levi was getting at there was because Arduin is born out of uh, essentially house rules for D&D. There is a little bit of a debt owed to D and D in in that regard. That you know, it, it takes the you know playing in the rule system of D and D to create Arduin, and then Arduin yes. differentiated itself. Uh, but I do, I I see your point there, Shadow. And it definitely also- becomes its own game after after the third. Uh, he, yeah. he makes great because I think that's when complete Arduin, uh, or at least the basis for what becomes complete Arduin, uh, comes comes to the fore. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he also points out that, you know, nowadays there are so many systems, including DCC, like you mentioned, that that use 
spell points and and crit and fumble tables and stuff like that. So, sure, yeah, that I mean, definitely, um, great points. Yeah, definitely, the critical fumbles especially are something that I that I think are pretty fun. So. Yeah, it's not so when you go back and look at like the <laughs> arguing fumble tables, it's not just I missed or I threw my sword or, um, oh, I don't know, I, you know, um, gave myself a minus two to hit. Like mm-hmm. it gets pretty dicey. Like you can kill yourself <laughs> with your own sword yeah. at, at, at times. Like, um, but I think all that's just, I think that's, I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like I like that about it. Like I, I'm not ragging on it at all. Like I think it's cool. Mm hmm. So, so Grimoire Games holds on to Arduin, I guess, through the 80s. And, you know, like like you said, you know, there's legal troubles for Arduin kind of in this period. And unfortunately, as people have been pointing out in the chat, uh, Hargrave does not live to see the end of the 80s. No. Hargrave passes away uh, tragically early in 1988. Yeah. So I think... Like, like yeah, from there um, on, Arduin continues without its creator, essentially. Yeah, and I think uh, up until his death, I want to say, uh, didn't Dragon Tree Press wasn't he? Didn't he have a, a piece of that, or wasn't he publishing so. through Dragon Tree Press at, at, at that time? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was he was publishing through there, or that maybe they had some sort of like subsidiary rights or, or something. Yep. But I know Dragon Tree Press was 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 putting out some stuff for Arduin as well. I'm not sure of the, again, you'd have to talk to maybe the guy in the chat. <laughs> maybe yeah. he might know, but uh, you'd have to talk to somebody like, like Andy Markham or again, John Peterson and one of those guys, they, they would probably know better than I, as far as like who had the rights at what time and, and whatnot. So, but I want to say Dragon Tree Press had, had, a, had a piece of that for at least a minute, at least for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks like mid eighties up through, uh, Hargrave's death, Dragon Tree Press is publishing. Um, mm. It looks like the Grimoire Association ends around 1983. Dragon Tree Press picks up through Hargrave's death and then it goes back to Grimoire for a little bit. Yeah, while. I want to say like it's 88 ish when Winds of Chance comes out, and that's like the last, like, um, so it's the last book for a while until End War uh, with yep. Emperor's Choice. Um, yeah, I think Wins a, Wins a Chance is the last of the little brown booklets at, at that time. Again, I could be wrong, but uh, that's like the eighth book, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, we get ninth with uh, with um, End of War. In, yep. I'm gonna, that's early 2000s. So. Mm-hmm. And as Shadow points out, I'll put it back up here again. Um, Hargrave dies during uh the the writing of book eight so book eight and then pretty much all of book nine are are posthumous so right but i don't think book nine comes out until until uh emperor's choice gets a hold of the license yeah. right yeah like I'm, i want to say yeah yeah based on the timeline i'm seeing here then yeah because yeah. the the end war that i have is is made by emperor's choice so mm-hmm but I mean, like at this point, like, we have a product with Arduin that has carried through uh, the the very early days of role playing up until the '90s. Uh, the RPG market has changed several times over in this period. So, I, 
when it comes to you know stuff that's being released in the early 80s the late 80s and then into the early 90s when things really change with like uh, second edition really taking off and and vampire being as big a deal as it is does arduin adapt at all or does arduin continue just kind of being its own unique thing through all of this well in the 90s like let's say like Oh, like 92, 93, you've got, you've got vampire. Like that's yeah. all that stuff starting to come out to the, you know, to the, to the four, you got D and D going strong with second edition. You got other games that are, that are coming out. Um, and sadly, I think 92, I want to say is, it's still Jim Mathis is like the end of the grimoire games uh, era. I want to say um, again, it could be wrong, but no, um, those in, in the nineties, those, uh, especially the early '90s, it was outdated. It was kind of an ineffectual system. I mean, you know, again, arguing purists probably hate me for saying that, but I feel that that's the truth. Again, the the rules were never the strength of arguing. Again, that's my opinion. Please don't you know roast me or or um, hang me on my words. But like, um, it doesn't grow with the hobby. Really, it's still kind of stuck in that kind of kind of, kind of back because. Arduin is never like OSR. Like people like to say that Arduin is oh it's it's the OSR, but it's not. Like they were always one of its again the strength of it that it was bucking the system and it was it was it was trying out new things and it was it was from a very early time was already deviating from yep. from uh, you know um, the, what we think of as the old school Renaissance or the the the, the, you know, the old school. Um, so I don't really consider it's certainly an old school feel game where you know you 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 it feels like the you know the 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 days of yore of gaming, but it really is its own thing. You know mm. what I mean? Like after once it sheds its kind of D and D ish, where it's where it's you know literally just D and D under a different name. Once it sheds that and becomes its own game, it's a whole different ball game. Arduin is a whole game that that is, you know is is off off to the races on its own. Yeah. Um, but in ninety two, ninety three, um, it just wasn't there. Not yet. You know, it would take right. it, would, it would be until Emperor's Choice got a hold of it and started doing some different things with it before it really started feeling like, um, you know, like a co- for me at least like a cohesive game that you could actually play, like. Early Arduin, even like Arduin in the eighties, and still not a great game. It wasn't really wasn't until Emperor's Choice gets a hold of it that it becomes better. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and what's is interesting. From a guy who loves Arduin, don't get yeah. me wrong. I I'm a super fan, dude. I love mm-hmm. Arduin. Um, but again, back then, at the, during this time frame, the rules are not the strength. Yeah. It sounds like even uh, Shadow in chat would agree with you on that. Um, but what's interesting about this, just kind of, again, from my outsider's perspective on the, you know, the role-playing culture of the 90s, there's not this sense of historical uh, preservation that there is now, where people nowadays, especially since the OSR movement really came about we want to preserve these old systems and we want to you know play 
the games the way they were originally played. You know, we, we want these old rules to survive and we want to run games using these old rule systems. My reading on the 90s was that that was very much passe. Like if you were still running uh, OD&D or Arduin or even like first edition AD&D, you were somewhat of a dinosaur to a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, I think that it is entirely subjective to whatever circle that you ran in. You know, yeah. I know there are guys who claim to still be playing Chainmail. You know, mm -hmm. they're still playing their, uh, you know, their basic games or first edition games. Um, I know I, these days I like to play games that are simpler, you know, so I, mm -hmm. I get it. Um, but it, at least in my experience, in my game group, we just played whatever was, you know, whatever the newest version of D and D was, which was at the time was at this time, at least was second edition. So we played a ton and ton of second edition. We devoured second edition resources. And, you know, this is right on the, you know, right when the internet was starting to get, you know, in, in people's homes and like, like everyone had it kind of, you know, it was, it was starting to pop up, you know, like, mm -hmm. like by that, by like 96, my parents had a computer in their house, you know, it was like, it was like yeah. a big deal, you know? Um, so, you started building these little communities, but yeah, for, for my, for my experience, it was second edition D and D is what we played. And then, um, we, we would just discover new games all the time, you know, but we, and we would try them out, but you know, our, at least our game group was devouring really whatever we could get our hands on. You know, we, we came from a small town, so we would go out of town to like a place like little rock that actually had a game store. <laughs> you know? So we would go and, mm -hmm buy as many games as we we buy champions and cyberpunk and you know chill and all these games and we would, we would bring them back and we would, we would you know try to try to play them and see which ones we liked and which ones we didn't that's how it rolled for us so we were always looking for the next new big thing it wasn't until really with the the osr movement that old school renaissance and osric and all that stuff that where the osr is kind of reborn yep. and we uh you know we get we you know a large movement going back towards those kind of games. People who never even played them are going back now and, and get, you know, playing, playing them for the first time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, you mentioned Osric. Um, most people consider, you know, 2006 Osric to be kind of the, the Genesis of the OSR movement, but right yeah. around that same time, I mean, obviously there was a movement before that on forums Sure. This is where stuff like, you know, Frog God comes from and, and where Matt Finch kind of first gets active and leading up to Osric and, and the, the birth of the OSR. But right around that same time is when um, Arduin is picked up by Emperor's Choice. So yeah. it's it's very shortly before this that Emperor's Choice gets a hold of Arduin and Again, from from what you have said and from what Shadow was saying here in chat, it sounds like that's the point where things kind of turn around for Arduin. Yeah. So the thing about Ember's Choice, um, the thing I like best about them, and I know those dudes, uh, they're real nice guys, mm -hmm. is that they genuinely love Arduin. Like, they didn't buy it because they wanted to turn around and make a quick buck. They didn't want to take it and make it something else. They, they love Arduin. Like they love it for all its the great things about it, and they love it for its imperfections. Mm -hmm. um, they are very good stewards of of the property. Um, they 
in the fact that they that they really love it. They they yeah. they are true fans of Arduin, and it's just good to see like such a beloved property like like that land in the hand of people who just want to see it done good. You know, so yeah, those those guys they they're just they're not just not just creators and publishers, but they're fans. And I think that's a very important distinction to make about uh, Emperor's Choice. Gotcha. Now, they kind of, I guess, enter the scene with Volume 9 of Arduin Grimoire. And so I have to ask, um, with David Hargrave being you know, dead for 10 plus years at that point, is there Hargrave material in that ninth book, or is it just kind of a spiritual continuation of Arduin at that point? You know, I'm not sure. That's that's. Uh, I'll have to ask ask those guys about that. Um, I would imagine so. And here here's why I say that. Um, I know that there's stuff in there that's written by other people. However, I know that when they bought the property, they got a ton of. Dave's, I guess, probably all of his old notes. They got all of his old dungeons. They got all those old maps. They got all tons of like little cards with items written on them. All all the stuff. So when they bought the, when they bought the the property, they get this mountain of cool stuff. They that's totally un that's totally unpublished and completely uh, no, nobody's ever seen before. You know, gotcha. and Hargrave had done um, you know he had done some like Arduin stuff for friends or like for people in his game group. That it still survives to this day. Some of it's unpublished, uh, or has you know people have just posted scans online or, or shared in Facebook groups and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all like if you're a fan of argument, it's all pretty compelling, you know, because if, yeah. if, if you're a fan of that material already. Um, but I, I I would guess that that there's there's some Hargrave stuff in in war without popping it out now and looking in the credits. Uh, I just I don't know. I can't answer that uh, reliably. But if I had to guess, I would say yes. According oh, to, he says it's all Hargrave. Yeah, yeah. Shadow says, Excellent. and I guess, um, and again, this is just kind of me extrapolating uh, from, from what you and Shadow have said, but it sounds to me almost like what they're doing now is what, um, I mean, there are several authors and, and historians that people have done this with, but Murray Rothbard is kind of the first example that comes to mind for me. Um, he died in the 90s, but people are still releasing Murray Rothbard books because they have his notes and have been mm -hmm. able to uh, they actually had to bring in like handwriting experts to figure out what he had written. But they're able to extrapolate like manuscripts for whole books from from notes that uh, Murray Rothbard left behind uh, when when he passed away. So it sounds like they're doing much the same thing for. Uh, for David Hargrave here with uh, the Arduin stuff that was unpublished. Well, I know the project that I worked on with them, it was, um, hey, here is a map of, here's an original Hargrave map. Mm -hmm. Take that, uh, here's here's some, some notes, you know, take that and extrapolate off of it. So I would say that's very, very accurate. Um, you know, that's the same thing they did with like Dune. All the yep. Dune stuff, like they had all of Herbert's notes and it's like copious notes. And then they bring in his son. They're like, hey, you know, here's here's the timeline. Here's all the <laughs> all the bits. Can you put it together and make it coherent and make it a readable book? 
And I mean, if I remember correctly, he did. Yeah. <laughs> like, he had like, like books and books and on top of books, you know, there were mm-hmm. quite a few of them actually. So, um, yeah, all that makes sense. I didn't know. I, I, I thought that when I was looking through, um, the ninth, the, the in the in war, the last of the, of the, of the books, I could have swore that there were some other people writing on that, but um, I, I may be thinking of something else. So I'm glad that uh, that was brought up in the chat. Again, I'm no expert. I'm just a big, big fan. <laughs> and again, like as far as the credits go on on those books, it might be them crediting people who have helped them compile notes and things like that into something readable, something that people can actually reference sure. as kind of a, a rule or a setting book. So that, that could be the case there uh, as far as like other people's name being credited alongside Hargrave, but you know, that's yeah, that all tracks for yeah. sure. For sure. But no, I mean, uh, shadow is saying that 2024 is going to be a huge year for, for Arduin. So I, I hope Again, so. I'm, I'm here for it, man. <laughs> I I have very limited exposure to it, so we'll, we might have to do a follow-up. And what we might have to do if we follow up on this is bring Shadow on and, and talk about it. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Or D- Dave, and jo- you know, Dave and George yeah. as well. Like, Dave bring George those also. guys on, man. Um, again, they're very good stewards for the, for the property because they love it so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're fans like yeah. they're they, they they want to see it done right, you know, which is, you know, very heartening. You know, they're not looking for a quick buck. They're not just putting out a big flashy book that, you know, will have no substance and you know will be all style. They're mm-hmm. they're genuinely looking to do good things. Yep, absolutely. Now, I'm going to I'm going to start this next question by putting up this. uh message that I started here earlier uh, where Rex Teal says it's better as a source book for other fantasy RPGs. Uh, what do you think kind of the ultimate legacy of Arduin is? Do you, do you think that it's become something that DMs can reference um, just to add some weirdness or add some kind of interesting flavor to their, their campaigns? Is that kind of where you see Arduin's, uh, influence as it stands today? Well, there's a couple layers to that question. Um, there's like, so like, what does Arduin mean to me? Like, how do I use it? Um, how do I think that the public will use it? And how do I think that it will be used in the future? Um, so how I think it'll be used in the future, it will be used as its own system because these guys, the guys at Ember's Choice, are they're working very hard to make it its own, well, it is its own, but, but to make it a better coherent system, to make it to make it all come together and be super playable and accessible, you know what I mean? Um, so in the future, it will definitely, will definitely, where it stands now, I think uh, there's not a ton of Arduin groups out there playing. There are certainly some, but like, are you know, are, are there a lot of? Is there a big community of, of of people who are playing Arduin and nothing but Arduin, or just playing long Arduin campaigns? Probably not. Um, you know, which is unfortunate, but that's what the guys at Emperor's Choice, uh, at least to, to to what I can see, 
are moving they're they're moving ahead with that like they're 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 making that their priority is to make you know, to bring Arduin back in a big big way um and to make it uh, a game that anybody can pick up and play um i think a lot of people now especially people my age or kind of in my age range they get those books and they use them for supplemental material. Like they, they like, Hey, let me, let me mine this for ideas or let me grab this class and, and, and work it over into my game. Uh, so there's that. Now how I use it, I, Arduin is like an idea landmine for me. Like I open up one of those books and boom, it explodes. I get all kinds of things. Like I'll go back to like where it's like listing <laughs> the, inns and taverns of Arduin and I'm reading NPC names and events and, and location names and stuff. And my brain is just firing off. I'm making little notes. I'm like, Oh, that'd be a cool place. Or, Hey, that reminds me of that. You know, it's just like, again, an idea creative landmine that just blows up in my head. I mean, um, those books are pure style. Like there's so much to love about those. There's um, the enthusiasm the love of gaming, the love of the creativity, it gushes from the pages of those books. And that's what I love so much about it. So that's how I use it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's, listen, and saying that, like, most people aren't using Arduin as it stands now as its own standalone game. That's not everybody. And that's not a dig at the system. Not at all. Um, I just think that's probably how most people are using it currently. Mm -hmm. Again, in the, what, what's coming? I've, I've had a little glimpse at that. Like it looks good. Like I, I think we're gonna we're, we're gonna get a new age of arguing coming. Like like uh, Shadow was saying in the chat. Like twenty twenty four. I hope that is the the big year for arguing because uh, I would I love nothing more. You know that's I I would love it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I want to play arguing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, and, and this, maybe this is too much of a softball or too much of a layup question, but based on your kind of reading of Arduin, would you say that it's it's fair to call David Hargrave one of the unsung heroes of, of role-playing? Hmm. Unsung heroes. Unsung for sure. Um, he's definitely a creative hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is the plagiarism thing. Uh, and he, he had some questionable material in there over the year. It, it didn't bother me, but it definitely has bothered some folks. Uh, I mean, I just still laugh at the fact that he called, what was it? He said, all minotaurs are always horny. <laughs> <laughs> in, that's in the text, you know? Um, you know, and there's Shardra the castorator. You know, she's got her breasts out and she's holding a giant axe and, I think it says uh, something to the effect of like she <laughs> kills all men and seduces all women, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's some references that in there that are, that are very distasteful. But again, this is you have to look at these books as they're, they're, at the time they were put out. Like this is 1977. Um, the way things are now is very different from the way things are then. So that's it, when I think about it, it doesn't really bother me. Um, I don't find that any of it really questionable. It's just uh, others might. 
So you have to leave that door open for the interpretations from other folks. But again, I don't, uh, I, I open those books and they're nothing but pure joy for me. So, mm-hmm. um, so a hero, an unsung hero. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely, definitely for me, a creative hero. Uh, the one thing I wanted to do before I left, um, before I left California was to go to his grave and <laughs> leave some dice on it and pay my respects. And I did, you know, like I, I had I had to meet I had to meet the guys like, again creative heroes so, and definitely unsung so the answer to that question is yes awesome yeah and there like a lot of that stuff I I know like some people some people's sensibilities are offended by that stuff but you also have to consider like what we talked about last week the influences on role playing as a whole and the kind of people who were into role playing at the time. I mean, that kind of stuff is not out of place yeah. with, you no. know, like Faster Pussycat, Kill, 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 or, you know, Ilsa, nope. She-Wolf of the SS. I mean, it's all kind of right within that, uh, you know, grindhouse mindset that I think influenced a lot of gaming and definitely influences uh, a lot of your gaming. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. No, listen, if there's one influence, let me just full stop. If there is yeah. one influence on me as any of the stuff that I write or, or play or, or any stuff that I put out, it is Arduin. Yeah. Arduin captivated me more than in, anything else in, in gaming. Um, and I owe Dave Hargrave and those three original little brown books an enormous debt of gratitude. So um, thousand percent agree with you on that. And as far as like like convince like you can't it's you can't judge things that happened in 1977 and again you know to take this with a grain of salt but you can't judge a lot of things that happened in 77 with the same modern sensibilities that you have now you just can't because if, if you do i got bad news for you about every song you know all, all your favorite artists and songwriters and all the people who wrote the books that you love and the people who are on TV shows and movies, like you just can't apply that logic. Yeah. Um, it's not the same. That does not saying people get a free pass or whatever, but like, it, you know, tr- trying to do that is just, it's not sensible. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, one thing uh, shadow actually brought this up and I completely forgot to mention it early on, but something we didn't talk about with David Hargrave was that he was uh, not just influenced by the Vietnam War happening kind of proximate to him. He was there. Better, he was a yeah. combat photographer. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he uh, he was in he was in the thick of it, <laughs> you know, but um, and that had, you know, maybe, maybe that had something to do with this surly attitude. You know, you have to kind of figure that figure that out you know who, who knows i didn't know the man i can only mm-hmm. glean from bits and pieces but what a tough war to come back from what a tough time to be a veteran in america and um especially in berkeley you know yeah you're that's tough man that's a, that's a, that's a tough ride so if he was a little surly if he was uh a little irritable or you know if he had his own own little demons that he was fighting with and i i say we give him a pass you know mm-hmm. I mean, seeing the things that he saw definitely, you know, changes a yes. man. Um, and, you, and, 
Oh, sorry, sorry go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, uh, just thinking of, like you said, the seeing the seeing, seeing the things <laughs> that he saw at Changing a Man immediately made me think of the of the adventure scenario or the uh, horror scenario that he wrote for Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. I don't, maybe Shadow knows, but I don't remember the name of it. But man, it was it was uh, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Like it was uh, not like any Call of Cthulhu scenario that had ever came out. Man, it was like uh, cringy in some parts, but like brutal. Like <laughs> it was just a, a rough. Like somebody will have to give that a little little Google there. But uh, I'm telling you, man, it was a. Uh, uh, it, it goes down in history as like one of the roughest of the Call of Cthulhu modules for sure. And I think it may have been in a magazine or, or maybe it was in a, a smaller publication or something, but, uh, but tough. It was, when you go back and read it, it's like, whoo. And there's like a whole carnival theme going on in, in the book. And it's, again, it's mm-hmm. very, very rough. Yeah. So that's immediately what I thought of when you were saying, <laughs> saying that. <laughs> also, uh, I, I hate to burst everyone's bubble here in chat, but Levi is a Southern boy. He is, He's not from California. I, I will not let you claim one of mine as one of yours. <laughs> no, I was uh, I was ra- well. I was born in Philadelphia, but raised in Arkansas. But I, I did live in California for several years. Mm-hmm. So, and quite liked it actually. So you know, you don't get weather like that anywhere else in the United States. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? Humidity builds character. <laughs> that's right or if you live in boston the cold will will will, will make you an interesting person yep absolutely <laughs> gotcha so i i guess for now that kind of brings us up to date on arduin do you have any kind of final thoughts that you you want to uh leave people with as far as arduin goes well i can't believe we didn't talk about any of like the cool magic or the monsters or like any of like the the, the, the craziness that, that went into it. Um, well, we did touch on the, the critical and fumble mm-hmm. charts a little bit. And the fact that it had like in the very first book, when there were <laughs> literally no rules on how to play, there was a whole subsection on prismatic walls and like 23 levels of hell or something like it was just nuts to have in your first book. You know, that's like seventh book kind of material. But um, if I had some final thoughts, um, Listen, Arduin is, uh, I think its strength, again, is in the just wild, creative abandon that saturates this entire uh, property. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, like, the genuineness that comes through when you read it, the the fact that it's just jam-packed with so much cool stuff, like little ideas, plot generators and story hooks and interesting names that will just make your brain fire off and think of you know extrapolate off of of, of these things he writes it like it's hargrave writes those first three books like oh you already know all this so let me just kind of just throw all these i just toss these names and ideas and things out like like <laughs> yeah. oh this is just stuff you should already know mm-hmm. um and it instead of coming off as like making it even more disorganized it's it, it strengthens it. It makes it even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just, um, he did something special with Arduin. And um, who was it? It was it 
uh, it was Jonathan Tw Jonathan Tweet, maybe? He said, um, God, what was it? I have it written. Oh, yeah, the coolest RPG book ever <laughs> for a complete Arduin. Um, and he's right. Like, those books are so cool. Like, back in the days when you had, like, whatever the you know, eight core classes were or whatever, you know, you're just in the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook. Mm -hmm. And then he's throwing out stuff like witch hunters and saints and technos <laughs> and ninjas and uh, traders and he even had slavers and you know witch doctors and all kinds of you know odd stuff. And that you know you you might be a I don't know thirteenth level fighter, but you've got a ray gun in one hand and a flaming sword in the other and a jet pack and with, along with your boots of speed, like it was just. <laughs> It was like a really like like no shits given like let's we're here to, the fun is the most important thing, yeah. Arduin was deadly, um, but man, like anything went. You never knew like where a game might take you, and God forbid you should miss one because you know who knows what what was going to happen. You know, you might you, everybody might end up you know dead, or they might end up you know having cleared out a dragon's horde. You just never knew. Like it's just a the potential is unlimited with with Arduin. It's a beautiful world with it's deep and rich, and it's interesting. And the most important thing is it's cool. It's mm -hmm. so cool, um, and that's just the best. Like that's the best thing I can say about it. You know, it is genuinely cool. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I guess my takeaway here is that I need to get Arduin. I need. I need to. <laughs> get a hold of one of the collections or or something like that so well they have what is it uh the complete arduin they have that reprinting of the the three little books there's arduin bloody arduin you, you can find it like you don't have to get the original three little books you can you can find it reprinted elsewhere and i, th and I believe they have the pdfs out too so if you just want to taste you can you can grab those i'm not sure if they're on drive through or not but i'm sure you could definitely uh, work something out with Emperor's Choice. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, if I if I tried to hunt down the originals, I remember uh, you hunting down the originals, and and from what I uh, remember, it was uh, quite pricey. Oh my god, it was awful. This is twenty years ago when I was trying to find this stuff, and they were still like, you know, eighty dollars, a hundred dollars. Now they're a couple hundred dollars a piece. You know, in in some circles, like. Mm -hmm. uh, curiously enough, I, I'm actually getting rid of my extra copies of the first two Arduin Dungeons on RPG auctions on Facebook now. I was shocked of the lack of Arduin stuff that is uh, that has shown up on on that site over the years. Mm -hmm. When I go to cons, I'm always asking, "Got any Arduin?" You got any, you know, I ask the vendors, <laughs> you know, "Got any Arduin?" Yeah, no, I don't have I don't have any. It's getting rarer and rarer. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're gonna put your hands on that stuff, now's the time to do it. Yep. And uh, Shadow, I've been meaning to have you on the show um, in, in the past, Shadow. So, yeah, I mean, like, it, if you want to talk Arduin, I mean, Levi's probably your guy for that, as I'm just kind of dipping my toes into the Arduin pool there. But I definitely need to bring you on the it show. Sounds like Shadow and Son knows way more about Arduin than I do. Maybe you probably should have had him on instead. Again, I, there's a couple guys that I knew that knew way more, and I, and I can't tell you who did what on the exact date of, of what, but um, when it comes to enthusiasm and, and the guts of Arduin, I, I think I'm a fairly good spokesman for that. 
mm-hmm. maybe a little too honest with it <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> you know, I have my own feelings about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm like, I like where it's headed. You know, yeah. I like, I like uh, the direction that it's headed. So, cool. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of uh, Rolling Bones. Before we fully uh, kind of finish up here, there is one more thing I want to remind everyone of because this is still ongoing. You still have uh, two weeks to jump on this. I appreciate you showing everyone uh, my hoodie there, but we are shilling your stuff while we have you on the show here. And this is uh, Chainsaw Wizards, Hectome Creeps, and Other Ungodly Bastards on Kickstarter right now. This is uh, the current Planet X Kickstarter. Link is right there in chat. It's a good one. It's Absolutely. a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. It's chock full of uh, insane Adrian Landeros art and so wild creativity as all Planet X products uh, have within their pages. Arduin inspired. My number one, it's, that's my number one uh, uh, creative influence for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, guys, um, just so you know, this is my go home show for uh, North Texas. So I will not be doing an episode next week uh, because I'll be prepping to to head to Dallas. Uh, but we will be back in June with DM Blackwall. He will be my first guest in June. He will be on uh, the first Tuesday in June. So no rolling bones next week as I'm preparing to go to North Texas I don't know if I'll have any content for you guys during North Texas, but I might try to do something. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But we will be back in June with DM Blackwall and several other people. Uh, So until then, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you all next time. (laughs) That was awesome.